0: Hi, and welcome. I'm Kevin Hansen, your host of the Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Vlad Arikcheyev. In this interview, we discuss Vlad's various strategies and activities with Zontic Ventures in the multifamily value-add market. Vlad is a multifamily investor, syndicator, entrepreneur, but a husband and father first. He's a licensed agent in the state of New Jersey with Fathom Realty, and is the founder and CEO of Zontic Ventures. Enjoy. All right, here we go. Uh, Welcome to my YouTube channel, Uh, Vlad. I'm gonna give a shot at your last name. Uh, Arik Cheyev.
1: Oh, wow, yeah, that's it. All right. That's awesome. So, Tell
0: uh, tell my viewers all about yourself and what you do.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, my name is Vlad and I'm in Jersey. Um, I do full-time real estate. I'm a real estate agent here in New Jersey, just residential agent. That's how I started my residential career uh, by being an agent and doing flips. Uh, but shortly after I realized the... Uh, I needed more, I needed passive income. So I started uh, buying some holds here, but single family stuff, um, and eventually moved on to multifamily. So right now I am full-time multifamily syndicator. I have some JV uh, deals as well. And uh, I primarily buy in Texas, Kansas, and the Carolinas. Those are the three markets where I go.
0: Very nice, very nice. And, um, how long have you been doing this?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the whole real estate journey started in the beginning, uh, basically when COVID started. So, um, what is it? Three years now, but multi, a little bit more than that actually. Uh, but multifamily, I would say two years almost. Two years.
0: full time. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, um, what, uh. Do you do you have a favorite market out of all the ones you mentioned that you feel is a little stronger than the rest right now?
1: Uh, right now, uh, probably the Carolinas. Midwest is really good because um, if you go south, like Florida or Texas, um, the insurance is really high. Insurance is kind of killing a lot of deals uh, due to hurricanes, tornadoes, hails, and there's flooding issues. So there's a lot of stuff uh, is happening plus a lot of people are kind of moving not moving but buying in those markets because they are arguably the hottest markets in the in the country so if you look at midwest if you look at uh, nebraska maybe uh, cincinnati atlanta um, arkansas those are really really good markets uh, georgia is really good so I tend to go sunbelt, I tend to go uh, red states. Uh, those are just more landlord friendly. So I like those.
0: So um, you mentioned uh, insurance making things tough. Um, you know, what's your thought about property taxes?
1: Uh, yeah, the taxes are going up for sure, uh, but they're manageable. Uh, when it comes to taxes, um, there's few things that can be done. Um, we have worked with people that do some sort of like uh, tax abatements uh, for new builds. Uh, additionally, what you can do is you can have like a um, uh, deal with the local county where uh, the tax uh, will not go up if you uh, keep the rents low to make it affordable. Uh, that's another way. Uh, taxes are going up, absolutely. There is nothing you can do about those. Uh, there's few things, there's recalculations, things like that, yeah. But insurance, I feel, is the biggest, well, of course, the rates, uh, but insurance, I would say, in Texas and Florida markets especially, are kind of, you know, breaking the deals nowadays.
0: And uh, in general, do you feel like um, returns have decreased in the last few years? Or what's your thoughts
1: yeah. there? Yeah. Um, returns are different um, for sure. You can't really... Hmm, I'm not going to say decreased because we're not going to buy a deal with low returns. we are rather just not buy at all. Because if we're going to syndicate, we're looking for, let's say, minimum of... Uh, I don't know, 16 IRR, just for example. So on the last deal in Dallas, we targeted 19, and it works out well uh, even with the higher insurance rates. So if the deal doesn't make sense, we're just not going to buy it. Before, we we saw huge growth in uh, rents, and I mean, the whole economy was booming, and of course, the rates were really low. Now with the rates, I don't know, like what, 5.7% last time I checked, maybe a little more um from Freddie agency debt. So um the I guess it, it's it's a little bit more difficult to purchase now with the LTV of being, I don't know, 65% or so. So you need to raise a lot of money. Uh you need to uh kinda look at it that way if you can raise the capital. Um additionally I feel that the real estate is you know, it's going strong, especially multifamily is just a little bit more difficult to purchase things because uh, there's few factors and many, many people are saying that uh, the sellers want the prices that were two years ago, and you're not going to get those prices anymore. Um, you know, the rates are not there. They, they purchased you know at the peak at the height and now everything is dropping so they want the same prices we see deals coming back from november and now it's the end of june so you know people are not buying because technically we can't the returns are not making sense you know they they just not i'm going back to the sellers and brokers and saying hey listen this is my underwriting take a look let me know what I did wrong here. Would you buy this deal <laughs> at your price and uh they just kind of shake their heads and you know, I'm being honest and very transparent so
0: I like that that's yeah. that's a good approach um sure do you do you ever uh try and uh submit an l o i and or go under contract and then retrade later or do you feel like that's kind of a bad approach
1: yeah i don't like retrading um reach i believe uh retrading i did it a few times but it happened because during the due diligence process or something after Mm. we found out uh, uh, that the seller did not disclose something and i'll give you an example uh we specifically asked the sellers on one of the deals about electrical um if it's copper versus aluminum and they assured us everything is copper it was changed and we were betting on that but after we did our due diligence um and uh basically closer to the uh uh to the end of the uh period we discovered there was a lot of uh, aluminum in there And uh, we went and we said, hey, guys, we asked you. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe there was a miscommunication or something. I don't know what it is, but we need a reduction in price. Um, Or maybe if there's, let's say, environmental issue. Um, But other than that, we do our uh, underwriting. And um, to do as much as possible beforehand, I typically don't like to retrade. If my if I give a price and everything is exactly how it's supposed to be, I will close at that price. I don't like to go back and renegotiate unless like few of those emergencies or something happens. So let's say during the uh, process occupancy, uh, you know, uh, drops, something like that. I mean, uh, it's something like that, something major, but other than that, we like to stick with our prices.
0: Nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody nobody wants to uh to get the reputation of of uh someone who's gonna retrade.
1: Yeah, that that's another way. I mean you should be able to do your due diligence before you give an offer. I mean there's a lot of sources out there, there's a lot of things, it's a small community, you can ask people. I'm sure a lot of people well, some people were involved in this project previously, just kinda put it out in the forums or somewhere and you know somebody's gonna reach back, or just ask people or your team to go and walk it and take a look and see how it is. So it there's a there's a lot of ways you can kinda do a, a check on what was done with the property. Um, of course, asking uh, the right questions, uh, having good property manager. I mean you can use resources resources like costar for example and uh kind of go back and look through the uh, data of what it passed so there's a lot of ways to uh kind of do your due diligence beforehand
0: have you ever felt uh strong enough about a deal to um come in with uh earnest money hard just right off the bat just to make sure you're gonna get it yeah
1: yeah um uh if you look back two years ago maybe even a year uh it it was almost a requirement almost a norm that uh, uh all the purchases were done with hard money because it was just it was just such a crazy market everybody was just buying because uh the debt was so low um it, it was just a buying frenzy and in order to have uh, a leg up on the competition a lot of uh operators were doing hard money yeah and a lot of them lost uh but they didn't care because if you buy a next deal um it's gonna appreciate you have appreciation growth you have everything and uh so yeah i i know few people that lost a lot of money i mean like technically nearly like two hundred thousand dollars because the deal did not close and uh yeah the EMD was hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. But hey, listen, if it would be easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. So
0: that's right. That's right. So um, <clears throat> in your experience, have um, multiple rounds of best and final offers gone away? Or is that environment still around?
1: Right now, yeah, there's actually happening. I, I We were looking at a deal literally last week. I was looking at my uh, chart here. Um, we were looking at a deal and yeah, they, they said best and final should be by June 20th, which is today. And uh, we did submit few LOIs. We, we look at, I would say five deals a day and we submit a lot of LOIs, we do. So uh, technically you should be making offers. Uh, if the deal makes sense, if, if stuff works. I mean, speak with the broker, of course, before submitting an LOI if it's really, really low. Uh, we'll, if, if the price difference uh, whisper versus, you know, our offer price is more than 20%, we like to speak with a broker first before submitting an LOI just to make sure that it's, you know, okay or what are they feeling on this? Because uh, technically it's quite a big gap um so if if the price makes sense yeah um and especially if you feel strongly on the uh on the property and there's of course some upside to it you know because i mean you know a lot of it i i shouldn't say a lot but operators nowadays i see buying more a b maybe class properties um and i've noticed um they're buying heavy lift or very light they're not doing stuff in between. Mm -hmm. uh, Because with a heavy lift, usually it's a deep discount and you have some upside, you can raise the rents. And also rent growth has decreased as well. So you see some upside, but uh, if you do like light reno, that's okay too. You can go and what, what you put in the property makes sense. But if you can do something in the middle, nowadays, it just doesn't pay off because everything is kind of dropping. I know the Fed did not raise the rates last last time, but there's rumors that they might continue, but you never know what's going to happen. So uh, that's just kind of the strategy that we use nowadays. Hmm. Yeah.
0: In your experience, is it more difficult to get financing for a heavy lift? Like if you... uh... You don't go into the deal with a great uh, debt service coverage ratio, or you've got some negative carry. Is that harder to to get? Yeah,
1: them? when it comes to GSCR, we we still you know they all require one point two five. We typically try to go as high as possible. It's it, when it comes to difficulty, I guess banks are more cautious. Um, you have looked at uh, tertiary markets, and uh, I don't like those nowadays. Banks are afraid uh, you have to uh, take, I don't know, 50%, raise more money. Um, we typically just stick to, let's say, Houston and Dallas. Right now, we really, really like Dallas. Uh, last deal we closed three months ago in uh, uh, 128 doors in Dallas. and. It's doing great because it's kind of away from the water, away from everything. The insurance is less. In Houston, we're underwriting, just uh, today we're underwriting for 1,800 a door. Um, That's pretty high, it almost doubled in a year. Um, In Dallas, we're looking at 900. Uh, It just kind of varies, of course, by location. And uh, uh, you kind of gauge with the area that's not in a flood zone so yeah um it's not difficult banks are just more careful more cautious so you just leverage people with experience i believe um and of course if they're not okay with that money just you know take less raise more you know equity that's what it's all about you got to raise more money nowadays yeah
0: and um has Has that environment changed in the last few years? Is it just as easy to raise money for these deals today as it was two years ago?
1: Uh, No, it's actually uh, much more difficult. Uh, Two years ago, everybody had money supposedly because everything was great, low rates, I guess, uh, not counting COVID, but everybody uh, has uh, had a lot of money and now all the money is gone because there's a (laughs) lot of risk, of course, and uh, yeah. It, it just seems like uh, all the money went away and we were raising during Q1, which is tax season. It's uh, arguably one of the most difficult times to raise. We did manage to raise um, a little over 9 million in uh, three weeks. Uh, I know that's fast. Uh, there were few capital raisers on the uh, deal and um, we were targeting monthly distributions that are starting right away so i believe investors like that you know lps they like that and uh, um they kind of prefer that over i don't know distributions that would start in a year or so uh or maybe quarterly ones they they just really want to see that cash flow coming in um now on the deal that we're working on now also in dallas we're targeting a fairly significant raise and uh, I believe also it's going to start cash flowing day one. So it's, um, I don't have all the numbers yet. I'm not going to talk about that deal. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we typically kind of cater to nowadays, just to make sure that the LPs are really, really happy by investing because um, yeah, it's it's difficult to get money nowadays. nowadays. Sure. Cause I mean, risk, that's the thing if everything would be okay people would you know be like hey listen yeah let's invest but I hear a lot of things from people they're saying oh we're just sitting on cash we're investing in something safe you don't know what's going to happen you have these typical answers oh I'm investing in I don't know savings account I'm like oi I mean, so technically, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, savings account gives you what, like 4% nowadays? Yeah. Inflation is what? 10. they saying it's less. Let's just say it's 10. So technically you're losing 6%. Your money is decreasing 6%. So even if you invest in a syndication, which is targeting, let's just say minimum 16, which is just, it. I believe it's fairly low. Because we're targeting 19.20 IRR, um, you're still making more money. You you're not. Let's just say you're not losing as much by just investing in real asset, mind you, real asset. That's what we're going right. Real asset. You can go there and touch it. It's your building. You can go and touch it and be like, Hey, listen, I'm owning part of this thing, so it's never right. gonna go away. It's not like numbers. On a on a on a stock market or something on a computer, where one guy gave me a great example. He goes, "When Elon Musk or Zuckerberg make a crazy tweet or something like that, and their stock drops by like two million dollars, I don't want to invest in something where one person can affect my money so significantly where their stock or any stock can drop by millions. You know, and they just you know they're just two people pretty powerful people but still but when you invest in uh real assets like let's say multifamily, uh yeah, you're not liquid. I understand. You can't pull your money out quickly, but you're investing in something real that you know is gonna appreciate, that has growth. You can physically go and see it. So that's why I like real estate myself. Large real estate, not not uh small. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes me think of uh um Before we talk about the return on my investment, let's talk about the return of my investment, because I certainly don't wanna lose any uh, of that investment.
1: Of course, yeah, that's (laughs) what it's all about. A lot of people are missing that point. You know what it is? I think it's the lack of education because people don't hear about it. My investors initially were asking me, who never invested in real estate before, is that real? Is this a Ponzi scheme? How does that work? We never heard about this. We heard about REITs. You know, but I'm like, hey, listen, you know me. If you don't believe me, that's perfectly okay. I can introduce you to 50 more people that are doing something similar, that are investing in multifamily storage, RV parks, trailer I mean, you name it. Uh land, development, anything. Go speak with them. Just like literally, just have a conversation. Ask if I'm real or not. Ask if they're real or not. And then, you know, make a move. That, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to educate people so they can they can make a, a great decision and uh, literally have a great return compounding their money constantly. Uh, you, and, and people didn't even know. They're like, oh, yeah, we got 401k. I'm like, but you can technically... Move it into self-directed IRA and invest in real estate too. And they're like, "We can." I'm like, "Yes, you can." <laughs> you know, look at your 401k. You're thinking it's going to be like what, eight hundred thousand, a million in by the time you retire in forty years. But if you're investing real estate now, you your money will be ten times what you have now. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even know this." I'm like, "Exactly. Read about it." And I send them a few books. I send them a few podcasts, few YouTube videos, and uh, they're blown away, so yeah, well, <clears throat> I think
0: one thing we can count on is you know a big big part of the population just not not getting that information, so not everybody's gonna you know run into this space. They're just not yeah, gonna know that's a,
1: Yeah. They're not in the circle. I completely understand. Yeah, it's just uh I guess if you Google um, you know, what can you invest your capital in, then yeah. And also I understand that a lot of like our minimum investment is fifty thousand. A lot of people might not have fifty thousand to invest now and they're looking to invest, I don't know, five or even less. And you can do that. Technically, you invest, You can invest less. It's 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 a little bit different. You can use a fund structure. Um, our minimum is 50 on our investment. So, yeah, anybody can invest.
0: Are you uh, an LP in a lot of deals as well as a GP?
1: I'm not, no. Um, in all my deals, I am a JV, joint venture, or a co-GP. Yeah, I, I am not an LP in any deals. I did lend some money. A uh, few times, like uh, hard money, uh, or you know, for construction when I was doing flips. But other than that, no, I'm not an LP. Always a GP in all my deals.
0: So, um, when you're trying to raise money for a deal, do you find that your LPs want you to to have skin in the game? They want you to. Have I always some have your skin money. in the
1: game. I actually always have skinned the game. I put my own capital as a GP or co-GP into the deal. Um, just uh, I put maybe in the last deal, I put 50000 I wanted to put more, but uh, since we closed six deals last year, I just really did not have any money to put in. And I was honest. I'm like, listen, I want to put more. I just literally am tapped out until the next refi. Uh, happens or I get some sort of a sale that I, I I'm literally tapped out I would have put more so I always put skin the game of course GPs te- typically put about 10 percent um, of their own capital uh, into a deal uh, so yeah I I put my own money in it absolutely
0: very nice very nice yeah. so you said uh usually about 10 percent a GP puts in
1: um like a whole group of gps um okay. uh, our uh, gps uh, it was 12 on the last deal so yeah a, a, a cumulative amount was
0: 10% so um do you have any uh any predictions or outlook for the the market for the next year or two
1: you know what i'm not i'm not a predicting guy Uh, That's Neil Bauer's job. Uh, He is great with numbers and uh, he's a total geek when it comes to that. (laughs) I just kind of go with the flow. You know what I do? I I look a little bit further ahead and I see how the market's doing and I adjust. So um, I don't want to predict. I'm kind of looking, let's say, six months ahead. And I'm going very conservative. I'm staying and I'm following the trends. I like that. And then within the trends, I find stuff that works. Like before we were buying, let's say in uh, Lakeland or uh, uh, Jacksonville and stuff like that, can't afford it anymore. So we pivot, I pivoted to a different market. It's like you're cruising on a highway doing 50 and you, know, you hit traffic, you just shift lanes, still buying just at slower rate. So that's what I'm doing, being extra careful when being predictive, I mean the only prediction I I kind of follow is that by the end of the year I believe that the rates should even out or at least have a little bit of a decrease, and maybe in a year, maybe in two years, they're gonna start dropping. Of course, uh, to I guess the normal, um, I a normal uh, rate, but it's not the rate that that's really concerning me. It's the risk so if uh you have a rate that i don't know uh, all the banks get and then you have that risk factor on top that the banks charge you so as soon as the risk goes away that spread that the bank is charging you will decrease um and then of course the hard money or bridge will come back because right now bridge is technically dead if you think about it um it will come back as soon as the risk decreases. So um, the rates, I'm concerned, but not really. It's the risk. It's 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 the uncertainty. So as soon as we're certain and everything is leveling off, then it's going to be crazy buying a frenzy. Yeah.
0: So do you feel like that that whole risk profile lies within the power of the Fed? what they're going to do
1: yeah it everybody is kind of listening to what they say at the end of their uh, meetings and uh what are they predicting so i believe it's the risk that's what everybody's kind of afraid of um what's going to happen by how much they're going to increase so everybody's just a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines doing nothing uh being extremely conservative and of course you have to you have to uh alleviate that so how do we do it we lock our rates, right, for seven years. Like we got 5.7 5 5. rate uh, from Freddie uh, in March. We locked it for seven years. So there'll be no surprises. That's it. You don't have to have floating rates. And that's how you, um, you know, that's how you manage risk. Um, and and a lot of people are doing it. Like before to lock rates, it costs nothing. Now it's like 200000 $500,000. Wow so of course well because higher risk and you have to uh, pay more money for that so yeah absolutely before it was nothing when the race was super low so yeah we we try to mitigate or uh, cover our bases everywhere
0: have you uh, have you come across the opportunity in any of your deals to do a loan assumption
1: yeah yeah in last november we did a loan assumption on 400 doors in uh Dallas uh sorry in Houston uh we got 2.9% loan assumption yeah worked out great
0: and do you do you feel like you've gotten <clears throat> or you are getting especially good performance or returns from that deal because of that assumption
1: yeah absolutely 2.9% you can't find it anywhere um yeah it's it's a it's a great deal we have you know we have a great team on it uh vertical like i said we partnered with another syndicator to purchase it because it's it's a it's a big one 419 doors it's a big property and uh by doing by having this loan assumption we feel we feel very confident about it yeah
0: very nice very nice so um we're getting pretty close to the end of our time here um but uh uh we've all heard the statement uh when the tide goes out you can tell who's been skinny dipping yeah what do you what do you how do you think that applies to uh our current interest rate environment
1: yeah you're gonna see the real operators versus uh people who are cruising of course you're gonna see people i i see a lot of people are dropping off now Um, A lot of people are staying on the sidelines. They don't want to buy anything. They're like, hey, we're going to write this thing out by just, you know, chilling, watching what's going to happen. I mean, we're very active. We're looking at deals because they're everywhere. We're not staying in the sidelines. And you're going to see real operators versus people who are not serious, who are here just for the ride. Um, I just feel very strongly about real estate. I love real estate in all aspects of it.
0: Very nice. Very nice um so before we go uh please tell people how they can get a hold of you
1: yeah of course i'm all over social media listen vlad arakchev i have a very unique name so i'm on facebook linkedin uh instagram reach out to me of course go to zonticventures.com z-o-n-t-i-k ventures.com i send a newsletter once in a while every three weeks or so very light very uplifting newsletter i like light and uplifting news something very happy and that excites people so yeah reach out to me plus i'm a residential agent in new jersey my information is completely totally public just if you google me google my name everything comes up so yeah reach out i'm very happy to help if you want to invest in our deals let me know let's have a conversation very cool well
0: thank you so much for being on today i really appreciate it
1: of course thank you so much for having me i had such a great time i wish we had more time but yeah it was a lot of fun
0: okay bye -bye, everybody i'd like to thank you for watching and if you enjoyed this video please like and subscribe to my channel and if you'd like to learn more don't hesitate to reach out i'm kevin hansen making you better and better. See you in the next video.